0: Fingerprint on her cheek. He had been awake in bed the previous night when the feds came. First, the murmur of a diesel engine, a low rumble he'd come to fear more than gunfire, then Russian voices. He had gone to the living room and pulled back the blackout curtain as far as he dared. Through the triangle of glass, headlights parted the night. Four soldiers, stocky, well fed, emerged from the truck. One drank from a vodka bottle and cursed the snow each time he stumbled. This soldier's grandfather had told him, the morning the soldier reported to the Vladivostok Conscription Center, that he would have perished in Stalingrad if not for the numbing grace of vodka. The soldier, whose cheeks were divoted from years of applying toothpaste to his adolescent acne, believed Chechnya to be a worse war than Stalingrad, and rationed his vodka accordingly. From his living room, Ahmed wanted to shout, beat a drum, set off a flare. But across the street, they had already reached Dukka's door, and he didn't even look to the phone that was without a pulse for ten years now. They knocked on the door once, twice, then kicked it down. Through the doorway, Ahmed watched torchlight move across the walls. So passed the longest two minutes of Ahmed's life until the soldiers reappeared in the doorway with Dukka. The duct tape strip across his mouth wrinkled with his muted screams. They pulled a black hood over his head. Where was Hava? Sweat formed on Ahmed's forehead. His hands felt impossibly heavy. When the soldiers grabbed Dukka by the shoulders and belt, tumbling him into the back of the truck and slamming the door, the relief falling over Ahmed was quickly peeled back by self-loathing. Because he was alive, safe in his living room. While in the truck across the street, not twenty meters away, Doka was a dead man. The designation O2 was stenciled above the truck bumper in white paint, meaning it belonged to the Interior Ministry, meaning there would be no record of the arrest, meaning Doka had never officially been taken, meaning he would never come back. "'Where's the girl?' the soldiers asked one another. "'She's not here.' "'What if she's hiding beneath the floorboards?' She's not. Take care of it just in case. The drunken soldier uncapped a petrol jug and stumbled into Dukka's house. When he returned to the threshold, he tossed a match behind him and closed the door. Flames clawed their way up the front curtains. The glass panes puddled on the sill. Where was Hava? When the truck finally left, the fire had spread to the walls and roof. Ahmed waited until the taillights had shrunk to the size of cherries before crossing the street. Running a wide circle around the flames, he entered the forest behind the house. His boots broke the frigid undergrowth, and he could have counted the rings of tree stumps by the firelight. Behind the house, hiding among the trees, the girl's face flickered. Streaks of pale skin began under her eyes, striping the ash on her cheeks. Hava, he called out. She sat on a suitcase and didn't respond to her name. He held her like a bundle of loose sticks in his arms, carried her to his house, and with a damp towel, wiped the ash from her forehead. He tucked her in bed beside his invalid wife and didn't know what to do next. He could have gone back outside and thrown snowballs at the burning house, or lain in bed so the girl would feel the warmth of two grown bodies, or performed his ablutions and prostrated himself. But he had completed the isha hours earlier and if five daily prayers hadn't spared Doka's house, a sixth wouldn't put out the flames. Instead, he went to the living room window, drew open the blackout curtains, and watched the house he had helped build disappear into light. And now, in the morning, as he tightened the orange scarf around her neck, he found a fingerprint on the girl's cheek, and because it could have been Doka's, he left it. Where are we going? she asked. She stood in the frozen furrow of the previous night's tire tracks. The snow stretched on either side. Ahmed hadn't prepared for this. He couldn't imagine why the feds would want Doka, much less the girl. She stood no taller than his stomach and weighed no more than a basket of firewood. But to Ahmed she seemed an immense and overwhelming creature whom he was destined to fail. We're going to the city hospital, he said, with what he hoped was an assertive tone. Why? Because the hospital is safe. It's where people go when they need help. And I know someone there, another doctor, he said.